Okay. But this uh, portion will begin in Nehemiah chapter, or Ezra chapter 7. sent a man on a mission to get me some water. That's why I'm sort of here, here waiting. Okay, I guess we can, we can start reading. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. We'll read that verse again. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law, the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Thank you, brother. Now Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. It says, and the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate and spoke to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the, brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before men and women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which he had made for the purpose, and beside him stood... Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Hilkiah, Messiah, on his right hand and in his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malkiah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalum. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with the lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Joshua and Bani, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Akok, and Shabbai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalitia, Azariah, Jezebat, Hanan, and Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershithath, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, 
said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions to them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Neither be you sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites still all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and send to portions and make great mirth because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day were gathered together the chief fathers of the people of the priests and the Levites and the scribes, even to understand the words of the law, for they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, that they should publish and proclaim in their cities and Jerusalem, saying, Go forth to the mount and bring olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths <coughs> as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one, upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and the street of the water gate and the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua or Joshua the son of Nun to that day had not the children of Israel done so and there was very great gladness also day by day and upon the first day of the last and upon the first day to the last day he read in the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. The Lord will bless to us the reading of his holy word. Uh, we start off this portion on, in chapter 7 and verse 10. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the God, the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. I have entitled this a Christian conference. Usually at Easter time, there's always a conference, a Christian conference when people gather together. When I first became a Christian, I, lived, I, I grew up in Prince Edward Island, uh, and, and uh, when I was a young man, I moved out to Vancouver, British Columbia, and there was a man invited me out to hear the gospel, uh, and I went out to hear the gospel. It was not because I wanted to hear the gospel, it was just to meet someone from back home. When you're 4,000 miles away from home, it's nice to see family again. Um, my wife is with us this, this, this morning, and my favorite mother-in-law, she's beside her there. Uh, we had planned on trying to make it more international. We had four students we were supposed to be bringing. We have a, a German student, a Korean student, Japanese, and a Mexican girl. And my daughter is from El Salvador. That's where she was born. And uh, we dropped her off at the airport yesterday. Uh, isn't heaven going to be wonderful? Isn't heaven going to be wonderful? It says, from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. And we will be together praising God, from whom all blessing flows. God has redeemed us, and it is going to be wonderful. Uh, I want to think about this as a Christian conference. You know, if there was a conference that was announced, you know, usually they would announce the place, and they would announce the time. Well, I want to think about this as a Christian conference. When? The first day of the seventh month, okay? Now, if we were looking at that, that would be July 1st, okay? 
uh, and says, who, and, and who were the preachers? Well, there was Ezra, and there was 13 other ministering brothers that were there to preach the word of God. So the, there was a multitude of ministry. The, it's not just one guy coming and you're listening to one guy for a whole weekend. No, there were, there's 14 different brothers that would be preaching. And what was the purpose? For the exaltation of God. Uh, this morning, as we were sitting here in the breaking of bread, we had the opportunity to give praise unto him that loved us and gave himself for us. He, he that washed us from our sins in his own blood. And now we have eternity to talk about that. You know, a Christian conference, it should correct our path. Because sometimes we're doing things that we ought not to be doing. Isn't that true? And, and then it should clear our minds. Sometimes there's questions. Brother Dave mentioned that about coming on Friday night or, or even the general meeting. He said, sometimes there's things in our mind we say, well, why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing this? Because every church you go to, like I lived in El Salvador for 10 years, and before I lived there, I used to go, we used to go showing gospel movies, and we used to go out into the boonies, way out in the country, where there would only be one light bulb in the whole, in the whole town, you know? And, and we were showing a gospel movie, and then we would preach after the gospel movie. Well, I have seen all kinds of churches. You would not believe the things that I've seen going on in churches, you know, what they call worship and so on. But we were there to tell people that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners. I, I, want, I want to ask you a, a question. Who likes to be challenged? Who likes to be challenged? You know, like, like, like Dave said, we're a thin crowd this morning. You know, like if Dave were to, to look at on the scale, looking over my shoulder and, and see the scale, well, he said, uh, brother, I think you better be trying to be a little bit more thinner than you come back here. Well, I wouldn't like that. Why? Because, because being on a diet, it's hard to sacrifice, right? We're trying to lose weight and things like that. It takes discipline. Well, last year, I remember there were some people, and they were putting on a Bible challenge, read the Bible in 40 days. I said, that's insane. Have you ever read the Bible in 40 days? No. Do you, would you like to? Uh, I don't think he would, you know? Like, like, okay. And none of us would. And so, you know, I'm thinking... That's nuts. Well, anyway, it was, was December, we're, you know, at the end of the year, you know, and everybody, January 1st, everybody says, okay, well, we have to start reading our Bible from the beginning to the end. So there's a page that I belong to. I, have, I don't have my normal Bible here today, and I like to make notes in my Bible, and I have tons and tons of notes, and I have actually have four Bibles, and I'm getting old, so I'm, I'm on my last Bible, and I'm copying all these notes into my Bible, you know, and I, I, can, I can take like... like a couple of hours just copying notes from one from those four Bibles into one chapter. Like it, it's very time consuming. So anyway, I'm on this page, and this girl, she her name is Cat. That that's a good name to start off with. You know, so you know where the story's going, right? And she says, you know, there's something called the 30 day Bible shred. Now I don't even like the name of that shred. You know, okay. So you have to read the Bible in 30 days. She says, I just did it. A girl just read the Bible in 30 days. Well, if she can read it in 30 days, I can read it in 30 days, right? Okay? So I started reading the Bible January 1st. And I'm going along in a pretty good clip, you know? And, I, and I'm one of these guys that, don't, that always start out good every year, and I don't make it. I'm always, you know, I do a lot of Bible reading because I'm a preacher. But all of a sudden, I, you know, somewhere I'm lost there, you know? So anyway, I read the Bible in 28 days. 28 days. 
So I go back to that page. I'm thinking, I'm going to post something on there, you know. What did she say? I read it in 24 days. <laughs> I said, okay, you win. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to challenge you anymore. Okay, but imagine that, 28 days. Okay, so, so I didn't follow her schedule, you know. And uh, anyway, you can look it up online on Facebook, the Bible Shred, 30-day Bible Shred. Okay, so I said, that was pretty good. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to, I, I looked at, I have a chronological Bible that I bought years ago, and I never, ever, I, I read parts of it and so on. So I said, I'm going to start that. And I looked at it, 1,600 pages. Okay, so who's pretty good at math? You know, 16 uh, or 1,600 by 20 pages a day, how many is that? That's 80, page, 80 days. So this week I will be finishing the Bible, my chronological Bible, in 80 days. Okay? After that, I decided, okay, well, this is the year of the book. This is the year of the book. I am challenging you, brothers. I'm challenging you, sisters. Do something that you have never done before. Okay? I'm not going to tell you to read the Bible in 80 days or 40 days or 30 days or 28 days, but I'm going to read my Spanish Bible now. Okay, I speak Spanish, okay, but it's a little bit more of a challenge, a second language, right? So I plan on reading the next one in 75 days. Okay, I just divide it by the number of pages. It's, it's an easy number because I don't want to read 13 pages a day. It's too hard to keep track of, so I went 15 pages in this here Bible. So I plan on doing that. And then after that, then I plan on going back to my good old King James Bible, and I'm, going, I, and I'm going to read that through. So that will be four times through the Bible this year, okay? We need to be challenged. I was looking at, the, at all the men here, and uh, there's a brother over there against the wall. I remember him. You were at the men's retreat, right, over, over in, uh, in Manual Bible Camp, right? No, you haven't been there? Okay, that's a challenge, okay, in September... <laughs> In September, I want you to come. Okay, Dave's coming over. Okay, because we had COVID, you mean? And there's a bunch of men. There's going to be probably about 80, 90 men, okay? My Filipino friend, okay? Okay, a bunch, 80 men, and singing. The singing is incredible, isn't it, Dave? It's just wonderful. You know, there's a lot of men here. And, man, you guys could lift the roof, you know, when, especially you guys are quiet. I, I'm surprised how quiet this, this place here was, you know? But when you get there and you get all these men that are there and they're, 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 they're men of power and they're singing, the, they're singing praises and it's really, really in, encouraging. So the first thing I want to think about is when we get to this here book of Nehemiah, we know about Nehemiah was building the walls, okay? And, and, and the whole idea of building the walls was to keep the enemies of God outside the city of God. That, that, was, that was what it was all about. Okay, so here we have Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, you don't see Ezra one time in the first seven chapters. And then when we get to chapter 8, what do we see? We see Nehemiah preaching the word of God. Now, how did that all happen? Well, it all happened back here in chapter 7, in verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law, the law of the Lord... To seek it. So first of all, you have to know it. You have to read it. You have to understand it. And then he says to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. So to obey it. And then number three, and to teach it in Israel, its statutes and its judgments. 
So it's one thing to read the word of God yourself. But God is looking for a man this morning. God is looking for a woman this morning. Do you want to be used of God? Is that why you're here? You want to be used of God? Or you just come along to play church? I don't believe it. I believe that God is speaking to you and he wants you to be used of God. He wants to raise people up in this very place. Brother David introduced me to Warren. I never met Warren before, but him and I, we have a passion. We have a passion to go out into the streets and the highways and preach the gospel in the open air. I lived in El Salvador for 10 years. I've been going down there for about 40 years preaching the gospel. 1983 was the first time I went down, so that's, that'll be 39 years. In my little town of 15,000 people, I've preached the gospel in 35 different street corners around. How many people got saved? We're not going to know until we get to eternity. But they shall know that there was a prophet among them. The people of Halifax, the people of Dartmouth, need to know that there was a prophet among them. Will you be God's prophet? Will you be God's prophet? He wants to use you. For months and months, as I was back in PEI, I said, I want to go in the open air and I want to preach the gospel. But I'm afraid. I'm timid. I want to go, but the, and the Lord keeps on putting it on my heart. And finally... I said to the brothers, I said, I'm going out. And somebody, and then, some, and, and I went out, and I started doing it. And then there was a young couple, 23 years of age. They phoned me. I heard that you were out preaching the gospel. We wanted to go with you. A couple, 23 years of age. So and then there was another guy from British Columbia. He had never been out, and he said, the Lord has been laying this on my heart for a long time. He said, I'd like to go too, but I'm shaking. And I remember the first time when I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, I got saved in March 19, 1976. I went down to Gastown, and I was there, and the brothers were preaching the gospel in the open air, and my knees were banging together. And I wasn't even preaching. I was just standing there watching them. I was afraid. Of, I was down in Gastown in, in the sort of the dangerous part of town. But God put a fire in my heart to tell others to proclaim the good news. Yes, Christ Jesus, come into the world to save sinners. Are you saved? Aren't you glad that somebody left the, the pleasure and the convenience of home? I was living in British Columbia. There was a man left Prince Edward Island 4,000 miles. He went out to British Columbia. He left his family, his wife and kids behind, and he was there sleeping in somebody else's bed, They were having gospel meetings. After I got saved, they said, listen, we want you to come with us. Where? Downstairs. And I walked into this little room, and there was a bunch of men on their knees and round in a circle, and they were praying. They were praying for different names. When's the last time we've done that? Have you got a burden for prayer? Maybe before the next time you have a meeting, you say, listen, there's a little, I think there's a little library over there. Maybe two or three of you might go in there and start praying. Listen, 
We saw a young couple come in here. We don't know anything about them. We're going to pray for them, that the Spirit of God would work in that person's heart, that they might get saved. There's no greater joy than to have eternal life, to know that your sins are forgiven. So chapter 8, Nehemiah. It says, and all the people gathered themselves together. When, when did this happen? This is after the captivity. Israel starts out with King Saul. And then we have King David. And then we have King Solomon. And then we have the kingdom, it's divided. We have the northern king, t- ten tribes to the north and two to the south. And they're divided. And then they're, and then they're because of the rebelliousness against God. They've been carrying away the baptism. To, to Assyria. And then later, the Babylonians come down and got the rest of them down in Judah, and they brought them. So now we have, 70 years later, they've been brought back to Jerusalem, and they start restoring this, the city, the temple of God. And we have Ezra that's there. And, 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 and what, is it, what does it say? And the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, And they spoke to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. Yesterday I was sitting in the hotel room, and I got a phone call. And there's a man in PEI, he says, listen, my preachers are dropping like flies over here. He says, could you come over over and preach? I said, sorry, I'm over here in Halifax now. A lot of people are sick. I had COVID uh, 10 days ago or 11, 12 days ago now. My wife had it uh, a few days before that. She was very generous and, and, uh, and gave it to me. Well, you know, it was very nice of her. My daughter had it before that and my son, you know. So we're living in, in times. We're living in perilous times. But, you know, there's people that God is asking you to pre- be prepared. I talked to a young man up in the Gas Bay, and I said to him, I said, Mark, I said, I want you to do something for me. I'm giving you a challenge. You know, I like to challenge people. I said, I want you to prepare a message every week. Take a chapter. Start in Matthew chapter 1 or whatever book you want. I said, prepare a a message in chapter 1. And then next week, chapter 2. Next week, chapter 3. Because in the Brethren Assembly, so we belong to... We believe in the priesthood of our believers and that all men have this privilege to preach the word of God. But you know what happens? They do not prepare until someone asks them to speak. And maybe they ask you to speak now, you're speaking this week, and then you don't get asked to speak for four more months, so you don't prepare one message. How can God use you if you're not doing anything? Ezra prepared his heart to seek the Lord. So do you know what Mark says? Mark says, okay, I took your advice, Wayne. I'm doing what you said. And you know what happened? This church, they phoned me and asked me to speak. He said, I'm ready. I got the message. God can't use you unless you're prepared. Ezra prepared his heart. So now the people ask him to bring the book. And he's a prepared man. God uses men. God uses women. Do you remember the story about Jim Elliot? The five missionary martyrs that were killed down in the jungles of Ecuador? What happened when those men died? 
God used two women. When the rest of the men were afraid to go in, God used two women that the Lord had touched their hearts and they went in to the people that had killed their husbands. That's the kind of God we serve. Not afraid of adversity. Not afraid of the enemies of God. With God at your back and Christ in your heart by faith, and this is what Ezra did. He stands up. He opens the book of God before them. And they spoke to Ezra the scribe, bring the book. That's what we want, men and women of the book. Ezra could have said, I'm suffering spiritual burnout. Don't you know what I've been doing? For the last 12 years, I've been working my heart, my fingers to the bone, and the enemies of God are around. And, and, and I'm, I'm just, there's nobody here to help me. It says in, in 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 29 and 34, it says, but the priests were too few. Spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership is what men do behind the scenes when no one is watching. They are reading. They are praying. They are studying. Sometimes they're learning new songs. I play the guitar. I love to play the guitar. and I have a family band. We, we, we play together. When I lived in El Salvador, I had to learn all these songs in a, in a language I didn't understand and try to lead them. That's even worse especially when you're not a good singer to start off with. That makes it even worse still. But God will take whatever we offer him. Sometimes it's not our ability, but it is our availability. Are you available for God this morning? Verse 2 Ezra brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. So it says men and women and all that could hear. I see a little baby on the ground. Caleb and Christy were in every meeting that ever happened in Iglesia Berea in El Salvador. They never missed prayer meeting. They never missed the breaking of bread. They never missed Bible study. I'll tell you one thing, it's a lot better having some kids uh, in the background crying and whimpering and, uh, than, ha than have one of these dead churches with no kids in it. Isn't that something, eh? It's a blessing. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. You know, the nice thing is, is, is the young couples nowadays, they're, they're, they're having children right away. My, we're going to be granddads. My 24-year-old my, my son, Caleb, and, and uh, his wife, Taylor, they're having a baby. So we're pretty excited about that, too, you know? And then in verse 3, it says, He read therein in the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. They were not only attentive. They were not only attending. 
It says, all the years of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So they were not just attending that gathering, but they were paying attention to the word of God. They tell us from that word morning, that was six o'clock in the morning. What time did meetings start this morning? 9.30. And it goes till midday, you know, two and a half hours. And we're saying, man, you know, there was a couple of old ladies and, and they said, man, that guy sure preaches for a long time. And the other one says, no, it just seems like he preaches for a long time. <laughs> Pretty hard to listen to. But imagine coming with a desire for the word of God. I've never been in countries like that. You know, they, they talk about Africa, and they, and they say the they people walk for miles. I have missionary friends over there, and the people walk for miles to get to a conference, and, and they're there, and the guys are preaching till midnight, and they come on, brother, keep on preaching. You know? Here in Canada, what do you hear? You know? <laughs> zip, zip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you, know, five, you know, two minutes after, you mean the people are headed for the door, Right? And uh, myself, I'm one of these guys, I, I, like to, I like to watch the clock, and I, like to, I don't like to keep people late. So don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. It says, verse 4, And Ezra stood upon a pulpit of wood which made for the purpose. One thing I like to do whenever I go to any church, and I don't care where it is, I like to sit in the first two or three rows. And the reason I do that is because I don't like distractions. I, I, I have a mm, attention span like a mosquito, I think, you know? And, and I, I like to be close because of anything that's happening behind, I'm looking here and I'm looking there and I'm looking. So I want to be focused. I, if I'm, I'm there for the purpose, I want to hear the word of God. And I want God speaking to me. So, so they had that purpose. They lifted, they had a pulpit and it was lifted up and there was no distractions. And then in verse 5 it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. It was a while back. I was in this meeting. And there was a man spoke. And after the meeting was over, one of the brothers who were there, and he said, yeah, that was pretty good, wasn't it? I said, yeah. I said, did you notice something, though? Something very interesting. He said, no, what was that? I said, the man didn't open the Bible. Could you imagine being in an assembly? And the man didn't open the Bible? I'm not talking about the Pentecostal church down the road or the Baptist church down the road. I'm talking about one of our assemblies. Not only did the man not open the Bible, the listeners didn't even notice. Were they attentive? Were they there being entertained? There's another reason why we open the Bible when we're preaching. And I like to try to help young men with this. When you're opening the Bible, people say, well, I want a real good catchy illustration to get their attention. And then they start off in this here story, and you know, you're following along, following along, and, and after a while it's like, what was he talking about? 
And then like 15 minutes later, he, he, he will, and he'll be making references, Bible references, using his illustration, because he's been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks, if he's been preparing a message, you know, we understand that. But you know what the problem is? I tell people, let them get on the bus. Open the Bible, read the Bible so that they're in the same line of tra train of thought that you are. If you're in Nehemiah, you want to let them read that passage so that they're seeing that story and all the people gathered together in front of that pulpit and there's a great big crowd of people, men and women, boys and girls, all that could understand and they're standing and then he's reading and then they're standing and when he, when he reads, it says, they said, Amen, Amen. When's the last time you said Amen. Don't worry, brother, nobody's going to accuse you guys of being Pentecostal. <laughs> what does amen mean? Means so be it. Means I agree. Sometimes in some of the translations it's translated, verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, amen, amen. But if you don't agree, I don't want you to say amen. Like I said, you know, like I said, when I lived in El Salvador, I was in some strange places because we, we, when I first went there, I, I couldn't speak Spanish. And we would just go and we would show movies and then we'd have a translator and we would preach the gospel and so on. You know, but after I moved there to live there, then we established a, a, an assembly and we preached the gospel orderly and, and uh, we, we believe uh, the things that you teach here. We, we believe in in remembering the Lord on a, on a weekly basis. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. Verse 6. It says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Were you paying attention to the words in the songs today? I believe the brothers and sisters here were very careful with the song choices. You know, sometimes my kids would be listening to some songs and, and, uh, and uh, well, they write me off anyway because I listen to bluegrass music, you know. So, so you know, th th there's, where, there's where I am. But I said, some of the songs, and you'll hear the song repeated the words over and over and over. After about eight times, I started to lose interest in, in, in that song, right? You know, like keep on repeating the word over and over and over again. You know, some songs are repeated. If you go through some of the Psalms, you'll, you'll see that phrase, his, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever and so on. But, but that's, that's, a, that's a theme that's going on on, on that song. It's, it's not, we're not talking about vain repetitions. Ezra... Bless the Lord. Does our preaching exalt Christ? Ezra had a knowledge of the Almighty God. He, he wasn't preaching about me. When I, when I lived in El Salvador, there was a guy come over to me, and uh, he said to me, Is your church Christocentrico? And I think you can understand enough of the Spanish to understand that, right? Is your church Christ-centered? I said, wow, that's pretty good. I like that. Yes, our 
church is Christ-centered. We preach Christ and him crucified. He is the only savior of sinners. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom in due time. Christ died for the ungodly. We make much of Christ. We exalt him. Ezra blessed the Lord, verse 6, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know, that, that, that word worship, the word worship is a very interesting word trying to explain in our New Testament, some of the expressions means to kiss towards. It's like yesterday when we dropped our, our daughter off at the airport. What do parents do? They will blow a kiss. They will, I'm sending my love towards you. But also in, we have this expression that they bow down. You know, sometimes you see, you see all these, uh, the, the, these the mosques. I remember one time when I lived in, El Salvador, in, in Vancouver, I was an insurance agent, and I had to go to this here. Somebody wanted an qu insurance quote on a mosque. It was like a meeting room, and I went in there, and I'm looking, where's all the chairs? There wasn't one chair in the whole place. You know, and then after a while, after seeing some movies, I, I understood why, because the, peop the people are all kneeling down, and, and they, got their face toward the, they got their face toward the ground, but, but they're, they're repeating ritualistic prayers, as I did, as I grew up as a Roman Catholic boy in, in, uh, in uh, Prince Edward Island, you know, and, and Hail Mary full of grace, and you know, and, and you'd go through and you'd repeat these things all over and over and over again. You know, and you know, the other interesting thing is, when, when we went to confession on Friday night, you know, we would go to confession, and we would go inside that box, and then we would, we would kneel down there, and we would say these prayers, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and, and I confess to the mighty God, and so on. And then, do you know what's my punishment he used to do? He used to say, I want you to go outside, and I want you to kneel down and say, five, five Our Fathers and, and five Hail Marys. And I said, um, when I became an adult, I was thinking, that's your punishment? Praying to God is your punishment? Do people ever think about these things? You know, like the guy inside that box, like, like the, he doesn't think, I'm, I'm going to punish you really bad. I'm going to make you say 10 Hail Marys. And then there's a big list of names. I'm not going to say those ones again. That was, that was a killer getting through there the first time. Verse 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. This is another thing that we have to give practice to. Whenever we are preaching, these are preacher's tips for young men. Whenever you're preaching and you have a passage you should be reading the portion over and over again so that you can pronounce all the words and you have a flow of it and read the verses out loud so that you have an understanding. And then it says, they read in the book of the law distinctly and they gave the sense. 
So this is what we would call expositional preaching. They explain the words. What does the word redemption mean? Well, we say that means to buy back. Well, how do you know that means to buy back? Because I heard a preacher say it once. Okay, that's good. That means you're paying attention. Okay? And how about forgiveness? You know, when you ever hear that Bible, uh, Brother Dave was reading in Psalm 107 this morning, I think it's, but I think it's a Psalm 103. There's a psalm there that says about, about, about God taking our sins... And, and as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins from us. Isn't, isn't that an awesome thing when you think about the idea of forgiveness? And, and you know, you know as, as parents, you know, you know, like I remember when I, was a, when I was a little boy, you know, one of the favorite sayings that mothers used to use back in those days in the 60s, you know, just wait till your dad gets home. And you have this picture of your dad as a big meanie. Poor dad doesn't even know what's going on. Now he has to go home and punish some kids. You know? And he was pretty good at it too. But that's not what our, God, our Father in Heaven is like. Our God in Heaven, He knows. He knows everything. You know the good part about that? He knows all your sins, past, present, and even future. The good thing about that is he didn't miss one of them when he punished his son on Calvary's cross. All of your sins were laid upon them. Jesus bore them on the tree. And now, if we believe that he paid for my sins, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He caused them to understand the reading. In, 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 in verse 9, we saw that there was a shared ministry, Nehemiah and Ezra, and all the Levites taught the people of God. And then, do you know what they said? They said, don't mourn, for all the people stood there weeping when they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they realized they were disobedient. When's the last time you wept when you read the word of God? Do you ever say, Lord, I'm sorry? Lord, I want a fresh start. Lord, I, I've been failing. I haven't been reading. I haven't been praying. I haven't been witnessing. God wants to bring us along in our faith. And Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites, they, they weren't trying to make the people feel bad. In verse 10, we have that famous verse. It says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you have that joy of the Lord? And then, in the last section of this, of this portion, we have the results. So the, fir the, first, the, first, uh, portion, the first verse we read was Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. And that was, before the con that was before the conference. And that was all about preparation. And then verses, verses uh, 1 to uh, 15, we have Ezra at the conference. And that was uh, Ezra preaching. 
And then in the last couple of verses in this chapter, it says, the people went forth and they brought them, made themselves booths. This was one of the teaching that they were supposed to do. Kids would sort of love this type of thing, wouldn't they? You know, you go outside in your backyard and you take all these here branches and you make this little shelter and everybody's sleeping outside under, under the stars. And what was this a reminder of? That God had brought them safely through the wilderness and brought them into the promised land. And, you know, we have a lot to look forward to us. You know, uh, just, just, in, just in closing, I, I, want to, I want to think about this idea. I, I started off with giving you, the, giving you a challenge. You know, back in the days of the Reformation, uh, Martin Luther, when he was reading the Bible, uh, that was the first big revival, was he was reading the Bible and he discovered this verse, the just shall live by faith. And there was a revival when the gospel was discovered. You, you, you want to read an interesting story, just, just by, it, it's a, an interesting story. Henry Aline. Does anybody know the name Henry Aline? Henry Allen, uh, uh, it's A-L-L-I-N-E. But they called him the Whitfield of Nova Scotia. Okay, on the street preacher's uh, page, you'll, you'll find about him. But he was an incredible guy. He preached on horseback all down through the Annapolis Valley, down from Yarmouth, all, all the way up into Nova Scotia. Imagine this, you know, I mean, like, like for me to get in a car and drive all the way down to, Nova, down to Yarmouth, that's a long drive. Well, he was on horseback, and he would be sitting there on his horseback and preaching the gospel, and there was a great revival, do you think that that's possible today, in 2022? We'll never know unless we get out and do it. So that, that was the first. It was the rediscovering the truth of that salvation was by faith. And then there was a man by the name of John Wesley. He was preaching in the, in the churches over in England. And they didn't want to hear his preaching. So you know what he did? He went out and he went into the fields and he started preaching to the crowds. And he went to the coal mines. And, and, and uh, he's, he was the one that was famous for, for open-air preaching and outdoor preaching, and there was a revival of that. And then later, the, the brethren came along, and, and they brought back the, the restoration of the truth. They, they, they said, listen, we believe in the, in the plural, plurality of ministry, that it's not just one man is standing up here in the pulpit, that, that the pulpit is opened to the masses, to the men, uh, of, of the assembly, and there was a centrality of the remembrance of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week that they were getting together, and we should not ever lose sight of this because this is a, a, a blessed privilege that we'd be able to do this. And then they also brought back the fact that, that the Lord is coming back. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, and we should be praying for the people in Ukraine, the suffering that's going on in this world that's, that's happening right now, and uh, we, want, we want to reach out while, while people are still, still able to hear the word of God. Heavenly Father, we just ask your blessing now. Father, as we uh, work through passages of the word of God, Father, help us to be stirred up in our own hearts and to not lose sight that, that, uh, that there's a heaven to gain, that there's a hell to shun, and that the, that the souls of men and women are at stake. Lives are going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And Father, just help us to, to rescue people. Father, we think about that story about the, about the little boy that was on the beach 
and, and there was a man driving by and, and he just saw this little boy running along and picking stuff up and throwing it in the water and he didn't know what it was. So he, he walked down to the beach and here was the little boy that was throwing in some, some starfish into the water because they were up drying out on the, on the sand. And he looked and he saw the, the, the thousands and thousands and he said to the little boy, you, you can't rescue them all yourself. And he said, no, but I'm going to rescue as many as I can. And then the old man, he go and, and he took off his, sh- sh- his shoes and, and he went in there and he was helping the little boy throw them into the water. And Father, help us to realize that, that the souls of men and women are far, far, far more valuable than starfish, Father. We give you thanks now as we spend this time together in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.